You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. We are wrapping up this series about hands-on. The idea that Jesus lays hands, Jesus reaches out, Jesus touches those who are sick. He came for the sick. He came for those who, who, who need a doctor. And I think in this series, we're all realizing that in some way, shape, or form, we need Jesus to, to, to touch us. And even if it's a checkup, we need to come and do a checkup with Jesus and let him uh, search our hearts as we have been gathering around communion at the end of our messages. And we're going to be doing that again all the way up through uh, Good Friday. And in fact, Good Friday, we're having a special time together and Good Friday evening up at the mills, a special Good Friday service. We'll have a communion on that day that Christ died, and it's going to be a very sacred, very special time. I hope that you are planning to be at that. But, uh, but, but we've talked about how Jesus touches our bodies, our minds, and our souls. The first week we talked about a disabled man. Remember, he was disabled for his whole life, sitting by the pool. Jesus comes on, touches him, heals him, says, pick up your mat and walk. And um, he first asked him, do you want to be well? And that was the big question. Do you want to be well? I think that really is where it begins, because a lot of people really, maybe they're, uh, they're not necessarily wanting to be well. Whatever their sickness is, is working for them. Uh, and then uh, there was a person with a torment in mind uh, that we talked about last week. Years of violence, uncontrollable fear, self-destructive behavior had put this man uh, uh, in chains and was living in the tombs and a legion of demons were controlling him. But, uh, but when Jesus came on the scene, cast the demons out and the man was totally in his right mind. So today we want to talk about a man with a troubled soul, a man with a troubled soul. Here's a broken person who had alienated everyone who was close to him. We don't know anybody like that, do we? There's nobody in your world that's alienated you, and and you've never done that to people. But for reasons that we can only guess, this man had had crossed over to the dark side. He had made choices that, that, that brought him a certain amount of power and a certain amount of financial security. But in the process of gaining that for himself, he had caused harm to many other people, and it cost him dearly. Basically, what this man had done, he had sold his soul for a temporary gain, and the result was guilt and remorse and shame. And then one day, Jesus invited himself to this person's home. And when Jesus came into this person's life, light came into darkness, and the darkness fled from this man, and he was totally transformed. The man we're talking about is a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. The story's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. And uh, let me go ahead and read that. Luke 19 says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And Jesus was coming, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, 
I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Would you pray with me again, please? Lord, I pray today for all the troubled souls within the sound of my voice. I pray for those who wrestle with regret and shame, those who've been hiding from you, for those who need a new glimpse of you, for those who are longing to make things right. I pray today that they may feel safe enough with you so that they can welcome you in and make a new start. Amen. Man. So here's a man that had a lot of regrets. And I wonder what woulda, shoulda, coulda thoughts keep you awake at night? What are the things that you're thinking, oh, if I coulda done, woulda done, shoulda done that? I, 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 my life could be different if I could go back and, and change the clock. Or change time. But, but and, you know, this story, it's one of my favorite stories of the Bible because it clearly demonstrates to me, I think, um, how Jesus cares for all people and even the people that nobody else cared for, which was very interesting. Everybody had reason to dislike Zacchaeus. He was an unlikable person, and yet Jesus went to the unlikable person. He went to him. And, and I think this story is made more compelling because of the fact that in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 18, in that gospel, Jesus makes a very piercing statement about people like Zacchaeus who were very prosperous in those days. You remember the story, what Jesus says to this wealthy young, this rich young ruler, I call him the trust fund kid. You know, he was just born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And he had all the funds that he had, inherited all this wealth. And he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And remember Jesus said, go ahead and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you can follow me. And the man said, you know, or first he said, what do you say? The scripture said, and he says, you know, love God, love others, basically obey the law. And he said, well, I've been doing that since I was young. I was a good kid, went to Sunday school, did all the right things. And, uh, and Jesus said, well, there's still one thing you've not done. He says, sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for it says he was very rich. And it says there, when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for, the camel, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So, I mean, that's pretty crazy. The disciples say, well, how can anybody get saved? So that's Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 19, just a very short time later, Jesus encounters Zacchaeus. And notice the description that he gives Zacchaeus at the beginning. He says, Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. And there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector. And it says, and he was very rich. He had become very rich. And so Jesus said, it's impossible or nearly impossible. It's as difficult for a rich person to get into heaven. It is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And that ought to unsettle all of us because relatively speaking, I would say that most of us in this room compared to the world population 
are on the very upper end of uh, income level in the world. And now you compare yourself with the others that you know who are wealthier than you in order to make yourself feel poor, but there's a lot more that you can compare with that aren't like you. So I think this, this ought to unsettle all of us. We have to admit that every one of us, no matter how wealthy we are, there's always a desire for more, right? If I could just have a little more, if I could just have this, if I could just get the raise, if I could just get that bonus, if I could just get that new job, if I could just, you know, do this, if I, then we all feel like we would be more secure, we'd be more happy, we could be uh, a lot more comfortable, and there's a lot of truth to that. So we have this desire for more material security, but there is a trap in money. In fact, I believe the Bible teaches more than anything else, money has the power to corrupt our souls. Money has the power to corrupt our souls. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And he's talked about the struggle. Jesus talked about the struggle with wealth and the improper use of money more than any other subject. And Paul warned Timothy when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap uh, into many fo- and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For he says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so here's Zacchaeus, who is a perfect example of somebody for whom money was his drug of choice. It was the pursuit of it. It was the hoarding of it. It was the sense of power that money gave him that led to Zacchaeus's moral downfall. In fact, whenever I think of Zacchaeus, I get this image of Danny DeVito in a robe. <laughs> right? You know, he's a little guy. He's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He's always, you know, looking behind his back to see who's going to stick a knife in his ribs for all the, all the pain that he had caused them. Nobody in those days liked tax collectors, and people love tax collectors today, these days, don't we? I mean, sure we do. The IRS is our favorite organization. So, uh, you know, here's, here is this, this Danny DeVito, this, this Zacchaeus. He's hiding behind trees. He's darting from one tree to another, hoping to see Jesus, kind of jumping under behind the crowd. But he realized that the crowd's too tall. He's too small. And so what he does, he hikes his robe up and he climbs up a tree to be able to see Jesus. And uh, like this jubilant kid, this business professional, Zacchaeus, he's sitting out on a limb. And uh, it's just this incredible picture in my mind that I see. And uh, so that day for Zacchaeus, you know, I imagine it probably began like every other day. He got up in the morning and rolled out from under his satin sheets and he climbed up on his little step stool to see himself in his polished mirror. And, uh, you know, he's probably thinking about the day in front of him. And maybe there's this nagging, you know, he didn't sleep well the night before. He had a dream about the person that was complaining to him. Maybe he was feeling a little bit of remorse for the years of, of stealing and taking from people and being an outcast in society. Uh, maybe there was this this loneliness because the, the only friends he had were the people that he paid to take care of his house and take care of his things for him and other tax collectors that were like him. Um, maybe he considered, you know, his name Zacchaeus in the Hebrew is a noble name. Uh, it really means righteous one. 
But a tax collector in those days, being named righteous is a bit of an oxymoron, kind of like a, you know, the town hooker whose name was Chastity. It just doesn't make sense, you know. And here's Zacchaeus, a righteous one, who's totally unrighteous. So for a Jew to be a tax collector made him both a thief and a traitor to his countrymen. He was a thief because tax collectors in those days were unregulated. They could, uh, they could go and demand taxes uh, and gouge people for all the money that he chose, kind of extorting them, pocketing whatever he wanted and passing the rest on for Rome. And as long as Rome was getting enough and they were satisfied, they didn't care how much he was able to pocket because he was working for them. And that's what made him a traitor. Because as a traitor, he was collecting taxes for this occupying Roman uh, military, the Roman government. And so he was the local resident, you know, who knew where all the money was in the community. He'd turn his neighbors in to the townspeople, he'd turn his townspeople in to the military if they refused to pay their taxes. So can you get that? You know, if you don't pay up, here's the Roman military and I'm going to get your money from you. Or if you don't get it, then they're going to, you know, uh, put the shakedown on you, kind of like the mafia would do if you don't pay, you know, your, 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 your protection fees. And here they are to protect you, but they're not really protecting you. They're taking from you for their own pockets. So that's, our, that's the picture you get. And no wonder he was so hated and somewhat feared because he had the military kind of behind him. So not only was he a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. So among all the tax collectors, he had been quite successful. And so having this man's heart changed and getting the chances of him getting into the kingdom were pretty slim. The whole camel through the eye of a needle, right? I mean, this is the whole, if, if Jesus says, it's a, you know, it's nearly impossible, the disciples ask in chapter 18, who then can be saved? And he says, well, what's impossible with men isn't necessarily impossible with God. And so in chapter 19, Jesus goes and shows how it's really possible for anyone to be saved. So here's Zacchaeus. Basically, he's a lost soul. He had wandered from the faith, pierced his soul with many griefs because of his, his addiction to money and power and wealth. And unlike another lost soul, the prodigal son who went off to a far off country and squandered his wealth while pursuing pleasure, Zacchaeus squandered his soul by pursuing wealth. And he didn't have to leave to do that. And so both of them were like lost souls, which really begs the question for all of us, how is your soul these days? What is the condition of your soul? You could be in the church and still lose your soul by letting your soul be corrupted by other things. So how's your soul? What's the condition of your soul these days? What guilt... What shame, what remorse is gripping your conscience? Is everything well with your soul? The good news is Jesus specializes in finding and fixing lost and broken souls. So the question is, how can my soul be made right again? Let's take a look at Zacchaeus' example. How can my soul be made right again with God? That's the question. 
And I think the first thing I think we see in Zacchaeus is we need to welcome Jesus. I need to welcome Jesus. I need to be open to the idea, open to the idea that Jesus is still pursuing me. Zacchaeus realized Jesus was coming to town, but he never imagined that Jesus was coming to meet him. Of all the people in that crowd, Jesus only invited himself to go to one person's home that day. And it was the least likely person that would be uh, the one that Jesus would want to go to. The Zacchaeus, the, 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 the Danny DeVito of the bunch. He was the one that, that Jesus said, I want to come to your house. And, and this just shows the miracle of God's grace. Before you ever thought to go on a search for God, God was on a search for you. When you were running, when you were ruling your own life, when you didn't care what other people thought or how your actions were hurting other people, there was someone who was pursuing you all along. That's the miracle of grace. Zacchaeus <coughs> was a little risky when he climbed up that tree. I mean, for him to climb up the tree and be exposed in a way like that. I mean, but, but it, it, there is this spirit of risk that accompanies those who really want to find out more about Jesus. You know, he was a lost soul, but he was willing to, willing to risk something to find out about Jesus. And I think for lost souls, they, they realize that if I find Jesus, I might find him, but lose other things. I might find my soul, but I might lose the things that my soul got corrupted by. And for them, that's a risky thing because, you know, I don't know if I'm willing to give up whatever it is that I need to give up in order to be found by Jesus. But for some of you, you know, maybe even coming through the doors of this church today was a little bit risky. Uh, and maybe you've been coming for a long time and being open to letting Jesus come into parts of your life that have been closed off to Jesus, that to you feels risky. So I understand that. But Jesus was proud of Zacchaeus for climbing up the tree. And so he walked over to him and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I need to go to your house today. And so this is the divine initiative. This is God stepping in into a person's life. And whenever you discover like Zacchaeus, that when something needs to be shifted in your heart or your life, God already knows your name. God already sees you. He knows your need. And he is ready to come home with you. And he's ready to start this internal reconstruction for you, this recreation of your soul. Jesus is willing to do that. And sometimes, you know, we feel like giving up on God because we know what a dirty, rotten scoundrel we've been. And we think God won't want anything to do with me. But you need to hear loudly and clearly that he has not given up on you. He has not given up on you. Others may have. Your family may have, your spouse may have, your children may have, your parents may have, but God is still walking around your tree. He is still shaking that tree and he is still wanting you to come down and welcome him in. He is waiting and looking and trying to get your attention. And so right there, when Jesus came up to his tree and called him by name, how did he know his name? How did he know this guy's name? Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house today. Let me come down. I can't believe 
how surprised and shocked Zacchaeus must have been. I don't know how he got down from that tree, but he scampered down there pretty quickly because all of a sudden there was somebody who noticed him, somebody who everybody liked who liked him. And immediately he thought, maybe there is some value in here. Maybe there is something in here worth redeeming. Maybe there is something that Jesus sees in me that others don't see. Maybe I don't even see it in myself, but Jesus can see it in me. For, for, for somebody to go to a person's home that, in that time was a very intimate experience. It was, it was Jesus' way of saying, I, I want to build a friendship. I want to build a relationship. You're important to me. It's, it's the voice of God coming to him and saying, friend, I, I want to go to lunch with you. And that's how transformation happens. God moves near to, to us in Christ with welcoming arms. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God comes to you and he keeps coming to you and he keeps extending his love to you to come out of the tree and welcome him home into your life. That's what Jesus wants to do. And I'm just wondering if you're here today and maybe you're sensing that you need to open the door of Jesus into your heart. Maybe there's a part of your heart that you just need to crack that door open and let Jesus come. Welcome Jesus in. And Zacchaeus was so surprised that Jesus would make him his agenda. He was surprised that God would initiate his relationship. And that might be surprising to you too, but Jesus wants to do that. So, so I need to welcome Jesus in and I need to believe that God even loves me or loves even me. No. We might say, duh, everybody knows that. Do they really? Do they really? You might believe Jesus loves me like Jesus loves the whole world, but can you think that Jesus loves you? Do you think Jesus even likes you? You you, you know, the person, I love you, but I don't really like you. I think Jesus not only loves you, I think Jesus even likes you. That he would like to spend time with you. that, that, That to me speaks of a greater intimacy even than this altruistic love that Jesus has. It's, it, it's, it's, I want to be a part of you. I want to have time with you. I want to get to know you. I really want to be a part of you. But you notice in their story, as Jesus is warming up to Zacchaeus, there's a really dark part of this story that's going on. While one person is being forgiven and his past is being washed away and being reconciled to God, Others are growing angry that Jesus would be so free with his love. Right? The crowd was looking at this and they were displeased. It says he had gone to the house to be a guest of a notorious sinner. And they're starting to grumble. I mean, I I could see that when Jesus was coming towards Zacchaeus and everybody in the town knew Zacchaeus and they see Jesus going to Zacchaeus, I can guarantee you the crowd was saying, boy, he's going to let him have it. He is going to preach a hellfire and damnation message to Zacchaeus. And I can't wait to hear that sermon because Zacchaeus really needs it. And that's what everybody was expecting Jesus to do when he came to Zacchaeus. But what does he do? He says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house today. And all of a sudden people said, what? He didn't want to come to my house. He wanted to come to their house. That's not right. 
Jesus should hate that. Jesus should hate that. Jesus shouldn't be a part of sinners' lives. Jesus shouldn't warm up to those evil people. Jesus, why do people feel that way? Because they don't love sinful people. They can't allow themselves to overlook the sin, to see the sinner. And not, you know, the problem gets to, do we enable sin? Is that making it easy for people to sin? Uh, and, and, and that's a complicated thing. I'm not going to brush over that lightly. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of us wish Jesus would just get rid of all the problem people in the world so we could have it a lot easier. Right? Right? We, we don't want Jesus to reach those people. We want to drop bombs on them. We want to put them in jail. We want to, you know... Make sure that we protect ourselves from all of those people and make sure that our lives are easy. We, in fact, we have this belief that Jesus came to make good people better people. And we're good people and he came for us, but he didn't really come for those people. He doesn't really like those people. Those people that we rile about on our social media posts, those people that we, you know, don't think twice about, uh, uh, you know, um, wishing that they were gone from us. I mean, that's, that's, that's a love beyond human love that Jesus has. And we need to start to think more like Jesus. So the people started saying, you know, oh, he's going to this house of a notorious sinner. And, and, and it says it right here in the text. Why did Jesus go to his house? Because Jesus came to seek and save who? The lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we as Jesus' hands and feet in our generation should be all about doing what we can to reach lost people with the love of God. So, some believe God sent only, like I said, only to make good people better. And, and yet he came for people who knew they were sinners. He came for those who knew they needed a doctor. People who know they need transformation. So off goes the crowd in one direction, grumbling against Zacchaeus and Jesus. And then in the other direction, you see Jesus and Zacchaeus going to lunch. And it's so ironic because you see one man having climbed down a tree and the other man, Jesus, is only a week away from being put up on a tree. We see that the guilty man comes down from his tree and next week in the, in, in the story, The innocent man gets put up on a tree. That's the gospel, folks. That's the gospel right there. So this guy's heart was changed. Zacchaeus, whose whole adult life had made one bad decision after another, but that afternoon he did a few things right, and it made all the difference. He realized he needed God's help, and he came to see Jesus, and he opened his heart to Jesus, and he welcomed Jesus in. And you know what? Jesus will enter wherever he is welcomed. Jesus will enter wherever he is welcomed. Is the welcoming mat put out for Jesus in your life today? Or is the please do not disturb sign up? Tell me, which, 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 is, which is the sign on your front door of your heart? Is it welcome, come in, Jesus, or is it not right now, Jesus. I'm kind of busy. I don't want you to see what I might have behind these doors. 
What do you think? What do you think? And Zacchaeus, he knew what was behind the doors. And he said, Jesus, come in. Jesus, come in. And so you know what he was saying? He was saying, Jesus, come in. Help me clean house. I need Jesus to clean house. I need Jesus to, I need to welcome Jesus in. If you want to have your soul restored, if you want to have your soul made right with God, how am I going to make right again? Then I need to welcome Jesus in. <clears throat> I need to let God do a work there. And, uh, and I, need to, uh, I need to believe that he loves even me. And I need to let Jesus clean house. So Zacchaeus, notice what it says. He stood up before the Lord and he said, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of their taxes, which he knew he had, I will pay them back four times as much. And I can guarantee you his servants fainted right there on the spot when they heard him say that. Because immediately they saw a different person. They saw a new person. This was not the man that walked out the house that morning that came back in with Jesus. There was an immediate transformation in his life. Transformation isn't just simply saying the right things. Transformation is doing the right things. Can you imagine Zacchaeus going back to this you know, poor widow that he had taken money from and threatened her and says, you know, I want you to know that uh, last month when I came to collect taxes and I took this from you, I took more than I should have. And so I'm going to give you back what I took. In fact, you know what? I'm going to give you four times as much. Can you imagine what that did for that widow? Can you imagine how the good news spread in that community because Jesus started to make restitution, because Zacchaeus started to make restitution for his sin? Can you imagine the testimony that that was about the work of Jesus as he would go to that elderly person that was dependent upon others and he said, here, I'm going to give you back four times as much as what I gave for you. I guarantee you when you start to make your life right with God, other people notice it will make a difference and it will give glory to Jesus. When you start to get your life right and do the right things, Jesus comes in and cleans house and your life is changed and other people are changed as a result of it. When he said, Jesus said, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And one writer said, right here the camel passed through the eye of the needle and Jesus stood and cheered. It can happen. It can happen. Zacchaeus may be the only person in the Bible who experienced two reconciliations in one day at the same time. He, 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 he had a spiritual reconciliation, but he also had a financial reconciliation. Salvation came to him. He was spiritually made right with God, but that reconciliation was proven by the financial reconciliation Total repentance from his past financial sin. He confesses honestly how he had been terrible and led to that terrible stuff had led to his deep feelings of guilt and regret. And you know what? I think far more people have a spiritual reconciliation than they have a financial reconciliation. They might say, well, Jesus, forgive me or, or whatever that other part of your life needs. Forgive me for this, but they don't change. They want Jesus to forgive them, but they don't want to really change. And so they continue in their sinful ways. And here for this man, the change that he needed to do was say, God, 
I'm not going to let money control me any longer. I'm not going to let money be my God any longer. God, I am going to do the right thing with the money that I have. Money isn't evil. Money can be used for good. Money can be a blessing in so many ways. And there's not evil in the, the desire to have control of money. But when money controls you, that's where it's wrong. But to be able to control money for the sake of the kingdom and to invest it wisely and to help the poor and to reach out to, 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 to hurting people, that is the wise use of money. And that's what this man started to do. <clears throat> but so many sincere and serious-minded followers of Jesus have an ongoing and a distorted and dysfunctional relationship with money. So if you've got saved from a moral wrongdoing, which is paramount, but you've never experienced financial reconciliation regarding money, then I still think you're one reconciliation away from being fully free, from your soul being free from the, the, the control of money on your life. But what is the drug that's pulling your soul away from God today? Maybe it is greed. Maybe it is the money you have or the money you don't have that you want to have. And that is the controlling thing in your life. And if the power of God didn't break the power of money in your life, or the love of God didn't cleanse the shame and guilt in your life because of how you've handled money, then today you need to be freed from that by allowing the Holy Spirit to fully reconcile you to God. I believe that. Because money can be that to us. But what other drug might it be for you if it's not money? What is it? Is it food? Is it sex? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it entertainment? Is it television? Is it your iPad or your iPhone? What could it be that just controls you and, manip and, and you can't live without? What is it? What is it? And so my question, I guess, for all of us then is what are you going to take away from this story today? What do you, if Jesus were to, if you were to put the welcome mat out for Jesus, were you to open the door of your heart into Jesus, where does Jesus need to clean house for you in your heart and your soul? And how can he do that? But he will. He will. He will. And your soul could be free. You could be free. What would it be like if you had a free so if you could sleep, put your head on the pillow at night with a clean conscience and sleep at night without guilt and shame, without the woulda, shoulda, couldas. I mean, yeah, you know, but from, from this time forward, it's like, I'm going to do the right thing. Life is better. Would you bow your heads with me, please? It says in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul writing about the Lord's Supper, and he said, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. And so right now, at the end of this message, I'm going to ask the servers to step out and prepare to serve our communion. I want us to do some self-examination. I want us to look inside. You know, I think a lot of us, we... When we first accept Jesus, there is this idea that, man, I'm forgiven. Man, I'm clean. Man, my sins are in the past. My, I, 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 my guilt is wiped away. But they continue to do the things that created the guilt in the first place. And then they are trying to live in this, this dual life. 
We say one thing, but we know in our heart things aren't right. They've not been able to honor God first and put God first in their life. They've not truly welcomed Jesus into all the areas of their lives. And so I, I want you to know Jesus wants to touch your soul today. He wants to transform your soul, your heart, give you a clean start, clean slate. He wants to be welcomed into your heart. So today when we are partaking of the elements, when we're taking the, the bread and the cup, we're inviting Jesus in. Are you able to invite Jesus into all the parts of your home, of your heart, of your life? Say, Jesus, clean house today. Clean house today for me. Would you just say that? Jesus, clean house today. Clean house in my life. Clean house in my heart. Help me, Jesus, I pray. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.